1: Welcome to the Favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. Uh, Listen, it is Tuesday morning. Last night, I watched the Sixers and the Nets play, and I watched the Sixers score 51 points in the third quarter to tie an NBA playoff record. And I thought, well, that's going to be the action for the night. And then the Clippers and the Warriors played, and I can't think of anyone better to come on and discuss all of the NBA action then worldwide Wob, Rob Perez of the Action Network, who did an epic twenty four minute periscope last night, late night to catch us all up on it. He's gonna rehash everything from the evening this morning. Wob, how you doing, buddy?
2: This is why you can't work to cover the NBA and be on the East Coast. And life was so much easier in Los Angeles with these games that don't end until two A. M. It's five AM before you're actually getting done doing content or watching inside the NBA or whatever the hell it is you're doing but i guess that's what we signed up for so good morning to you too chad listen Thank i you appreciate for waking me up
1: <laughs> i will say i will say that you know i was watching that game last night i knew you were coming on the podcast this morning cuz we had set this up before the games and um, i'm thinking to myself well he's probably going to do a periscope this guy's not going to bed i don't think he's going to bed the entire night and i have thought of, you know what? I'll text him right now and say, eh, don't worry about it. We'll catch you another time. And then I thought, well, if he really doesn't want to do it, he'll just text me and be like, I'm way too tired. I appreciate your professionalism.
2: And If you did that, I would have never spoken to you again because I wrote an article. I did a Periscope. I set an alarm just for this. And if I woke up to it, we're not doing this text... <laughs> Uh, we would have had problems.
1: We would have had words. Would we have had the kind of words that Patrick Beverly is having with Kevin Durant right now? That is insane. Absolutely insane what he is doing to him.
2: Uh, I I don't really know what to compare it to, but it's more of just uh, he he planted a seed not just just in Game 2 down 30, but he did it in Game 1 too. Where he's just he plants the seed of I'm Patrick Beverly and I'm here just to annoy the crap out of you and it doesn't it's not even like he doesn't play the the misconception here is that that Beverly plays dirty I've never really thought he plays dirty sometimes he just plays too hard and creates those situations in which one can interpret that he plays dirty so for example in game one when Kevin Durant gets a uh, Got, he got like an ad one call because he did his rip through and kind of falls back. And Patrick Beverly's like impersonating him with a flail, and they're going back and forth, and they exchange technical fouls. Then they exchange objections. And Kevin Durant said he was cool with it after the game. He's like, I kind of like that. We were just trash talking, you know, nothing was taken personally. But when you're up 31, you get a win. You can say that, right? You can say that it wasn't personal. And then Patrick Beverly keeps doing it down 31, and he's doing this thing at the foul line where he's pretending to fall in every into the paint every time Kevin Durant is taking a free throw. And it's starting to piss him off a little bit. And when Kevin Durant ends the game with almost as many fouls as total shots and more turnovers than total shots, and he's got Patrick Beverly inside of his shirt clapping in his face, maybe it's not a joke anymore. And that's just – it's more – it's not a knock against KD as much as it is a credit and a testament to just what Patrick Beverly is, that he's made it this far being this exact player, and he continues to produce and be efficient. As the NBA evolves from this 90-style basketball to pace and space and to everything as a foul, this man still continues to this day uh, to be an NBA starter and a good one at that.
1: He is one of those guys who he's good on every single team and yet never sticks with anybody. Why do you think that is?
2: Uh, I, I wouldn't look so much into not sticking with teams because... In the NBA, the contracts were so short, and there's so much turnover for all the players that I don't really see it that way. But he was included as a part of that Chris Paul throwaway. You know, Daryl Morey was like, "Here's seven players for Chris Paul because Chris Paul is this almighty point god, point guard that we're going to pay forty million dollars to when he's thirty-five years old. Uh, here, just take Montrez Harrell and Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell is probably going to finish second in uh, Sixth Man of the Year, third in Most Improved Player." Uh, oh, and Patrick Beverly, by the way, is just like an absolute pit bull hound dog that can guard. Any he is a point guard guarding Kevin Durant in the playoffs. They put a point guard on Durant, and he limited him to nine total shots. And that nine number is inflated because it was five going into into the final couple minutes there. So when Kevin Durant is jacking threes from 30 feet as they're blowing the 30 point lead with two minutes left. Listen, the Warriors sort of run their offense. Like, Steph Curry has to come off two off-ball screens, and then he usually comes through some sort of an elevator pick. And Kevin Durant is just launching anytime he gets open because he's had Patrick Beverly inside his shirt all game. Uh, Yeah, the seed was planted, and it actually grew uh, on top of the Warriors last night.
1: When when I watch – I don't mean this to sound nasty. When I watch Patrick Beverly guard Kevin Durant, I see him get in his face. It's almost like watching, like, remember that video of Kevin Hart versus Draymond Green in that faux three-point shooting contest at the All-Star game? And, like, Kevin Hart is so much shorter than Draymond Green that when he's trying to, like, get in his face, he can get up to maybe his sternum. That's what it feels like when Patrick Beverly is doing it, except he's actually doing it in a real game and being unbelievably effective.
2: Oh, yeah, the comparison I made here was... And the movie comparison is from the movie The Mummy. There's that that beetle that gets inside the guy's skin, and he like starts like losing his mind. He runs into the wall and like kills himself. I know it's a ridiculous movie, but that really is Patrick Beverly in, in basketball form. And the thing with me is similar to what you just alluded to, Kevin Hart, is internet culture as well. So Patrick Beverly is a basketball troll, and what do you do with trolls? You you don't respond to them, whether you are correct or you are wrong you could be the most correct response in the history of the internet and it does not matter if you are responding to a troll all a troll cares about is that they got the interaction so they can screenshot it and they can put it as their header in their profile so this whole time, Patrick Beverly was trolling Kevin Durant like, you're going to respond to me by the end of this. You're going to respond to me by the end of this game. And Kevin Durant's sitting there just kind of laughing like we're up 30. I'm, I'm going to stand over here and just let him be annoying. And then all of a sudden, 30 becomes 20, becomes 10, becomes 5. To, oh, my God, we just lost. And Kevin Durant's trying to respond and bring the team back. You can see just the look on Beverly's face. He knows he has troll claws hooked into Kevin Durant as much as he wants to smile and say, uh, this is just Pat Bev and Pat Bev, and I respect it. Uh, it's a lot different now.
1: This is what makes this last night's game so amazing, is Patrick Beverly fouled out with four and a half minutes left in the game. All right? Kevin Durant fouled out maybe a minute or so later. We are 10 minutes into this podcast. Last night, you did a 25-minute Periscope. You were 15 minutes into the Periscope. That's 25 minutes of combined content talking about this game, And we haven't even talked about Lou Williams.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, there's so many other Like, what happened during that game last night? So you had Lou Williams, who was, uh, put it this way. Some people were put on this planet to be an artist. Some people were put on this planet to be a salesman. Some people were put on this planet to be a blacksmith, right? It doesn't matter. Like, we all have a purpose. Lou Williams was put on this planet to get buckets. And I don't know how he continues to do this. Decades later, not games later, not seasons later, not years later. This man has been doing this for decades and he's just unguardable. So like people are talking about, oh, where's Clay Thompson? Clay Thompson was busy last night trying to guard Lou Williams, which is an impossible task in 2019. How do guys like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams continue to be this? Good? Well, the rules have changed a little bit and they've liked James Harden. They're so good at manipulating uh, contact that they're going to be in this league forever. So this is nothing new. Lou Williams was hitting game winners all year. He ran away with six man of the year. He's going to win that award again. And the only reason why we didn't talk about Lou Williams more was because of the Los Angeles Lakers and all their drama ate up all the market share in the media in Los Angeles. The Clippers have been doing what they did last night all Season. And I realized if they were that good, they wouldn't have been the eighth seed. But they have been overachieving with two rookies starting, a third-year guy, and a bunch of no-names that you thought sell off planet Earth and were included in a throwaway trade for Chris Paul. So when you combine all those elements together in this little cauldron, the ingredients that are produced in this waft are a team that feels disrespected and is going to overachieve. You combine the personality of Patrick Beverly, and then you have this guy Landry Shannon. Okay. I don't know if everyone listening to this knows about Landry Shannon. Landry Shannon was another throwaway piece that the Philadelphia 76ers included in the trade for Tobias Harris. Remember the blockbuster Seabury trade of, oh my God, they just got Tobias Harris for what? Landry Shannon was the key piece going back. All Landry Shannon has done is be the best NBA player. I'm talking LeBron James. Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, they were all second to Landry Shaman after the All-Star break in terms of individual net rating on off-stats. He was the best player statistically in the NBA going all the way into the final season, the final week of the season. That's an actual fact, that his presence on the court meant that much the Clippers, and the Clippers were the best second-half team, and it was all because of Shannon's shooting ability. That's what he did last night. It came on the line. No big deal. You're just playing an Oracle against the best dynasty of all time. Just steps right up and hits the game winner like it's absolutely nothing. So how many players have we talked about at this point? Four or five guys that are completely no-namers that now are going to become household names because the Clippers, Doc Rivers, and more Lawrence Frank, my executive of the year, have found that recipe that smells pretty damn good. All
1: right. We've talked about Patrick Beverly. You said we mentioned a few players. Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Landry Shamet. You say Lawrence Frank is, is executive of the year. On your Periscope last night, you also said Bob Myers could be executive of the year for getting Andrew Bogut to come back from Australia. So let's flip this. Because at the end of the day, like, we're talking about a 31-point comeback. We're talking about 3-1. We're talking about a Warriors team that at the end of the day, like you said last night, they're going to win this series in five games. So let's get to the Warriors for a second. If you're a betting man, now is the best price to get the Warriors, probably. But also, why do you say Bob Myers should be executive of the year in the Periscope last night? Because he got Andrew Boket to come back from Australia.
2: Right. So uh, there should be some context to that if you're going to say that, that it was uh, in the moment uh, exaggeration that he should now be considered because of what happened to Marcus Cousins. So from all the things that happened last night, we haven't mentioned yet that the prized possession of free agency uh, likely, we, we don't know at the time of, of filming this, but uh, could very likely have it torn quadricep and be out for the playoffs, at the very least, Steve Kerr said it's going to, quote, be a while, um, and it is a, quote, significant injury. So Bob Myers just decides, I believe in early March, maybe it was late February or whenever it was, to call up Andrew Poget, the former center for the Warriors, who was the MVP down for the Sydney Kings in Australia, uh, decides to call him up and say, hey, do you want to come back up here for the remainder of the season and play for the Warriors? And that ended up being a really, really important decision because without him, the Warriors would simply just have Kavon Looney. Now, Kavon Looney has been perfect, almost perfect, as perfect as Kavon Looney can be uh, for this Warriors team. We want to talk about how important players are when they're on the court versus they're off. Looney uh, makes the Warriors a plus 10.1 net rating. And when he's off the court, it goes all the way down into like 4-8, I believe. So that means his presence is worth almost five and a half points to the Golden State Warriors. It's the complete opposite for Boogie. So on paper, the Warriors are not going to miss Boogie that much. And part of that reason is because DeMarcus Cousins is a ball stopper. And when he's out there with Kevin Durant, who's also a ball stopper, when you play in the Warriors offense, the ball doesn't stop. So it really hasn't been a basketball fit in terms of like on paper stuff. But the eye test will tell you that DeMarcus Cousins is an all-star for a reason, and he looked pretty dang good this year. So they're going to miss him for depth purposes, but when it comes to actual like gameplay, and you look back on the advanced analytics, uh, DeMarcus Cousins will not be as important as losing like a Steph Curry or a Klay Thompson or Draymond Green. So my statement about Bob Myers was that was probably the most important phone call he's made all year, even more so than DeMarcus Cousins because Bogut, like Looney, does not need the ball. He's in there for one reason, to protect the paint, clean the glass, uh, do all of those important things that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant are not willing to do. You don't need a fit player who, wants, who is so good at offense that he needs the ball. There's only one of it on the court. So unless you're willing to adapt to and em- embrace this Warrior style of play, uh, Marcus Cousins is not a great long-term fit for this team, and having Bogut and Looney as options. Is going to make life a little bit easier for those guys who have been around the clays, the Dr- again, the, the Hamptons five, their lives are going to be a little bit easier.
1: If you're, did, did you watch, I felt like, uh, you know, 60 minutes on Sunday, had a game of Thrones story, which I know you like, and uh, a story about the warriors. Did you happen to see the story by John Wertheim on 60 minutes about the warriors on Sunday night?
2: Enough to continue to have this
1: conversation. So, <laughs> which is really all you need in a podcast. What, uh, that was, when they were interviewing all five of those guys, they were interviewing Iguodala, uh, Sean Livingston, um, Clay, Durant, and Steph. That was some weird body language in that interview, especially from Kevin Durant. What did you think?
2: Well, well. Remember sixty minutes, they filmed their stories probably five to six months before they actually go to air. Right. A majority of these. Now I, I don't know when the exact date that this was filmed, but based on Steph Curry's haircut and his goatee, that sure looked like the end of November. And at the beginning of November we know what happens. Back against the Clippers in that staples that same staples center, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant had their World War Three on the bench. And that's when like two weeks of oh, my God, this might be actually happening, was, was happening there for a little bit. So uh, that the timing of that, they may not have been in love with each other. And to be honest, they still probably don't love each other to this day. Um, but they are so good that it is in their best business interest. You know what they look like when they're sitting there talking in that interview? They know that, you know what, we're probably going to break up and we don't like each other, but it is in our best business interest to just – come together for this playoff run, let's win four titles in five years, and we'll worry about Kumaya after this. So that's that's the vibe that has always surrounded this team throughout the year. And to be honest, it's the same vibe that surrounded the Jordan's Bulls for almost a decade. All of these dynasties, these guys have egos, they think they're the best players, they want to get paid, they want, they want the recognition. It's only natural, right? We're all human. But they do look like they're at the end of that, okay, one one more is fine, and then we're going to move on here.
1: God, that is some Zapruder film breakdown right there, because that could also be why, if we want to extend the conspiracy a little bit further, that could be why Draymond wasn't in the interview.
2: That's 100% uh, would be my theory. I wish I could prove that, that if I'm putting, I don't have any tinfoil near me around this chair, but. The reason why Draymond was not included was because Warriors PR likely held him out, as they did many times during that run. Remember, there was was a stretch there, not even during the Draymond versus KD thing in November, when there was the second, like, what is going on here with Kevin Durant going to New York or something, that KD didn't talk to the media for eight days, and he was, like, running out of practice through the back door, avoiding PR and everything. Uh, So this is, (laughs) guess what happened last night? Draymond and KD left before the, the media got into the locker room. They snuck out the, the, the bat door, the, the, the Bruce Wayne door. So th- this, is, this is just like another notch on the belt for these guys. And the fact that Draymond Green was not there was certainly not by accident.
1: KD is becoming such an enigma because he's a guy who – he should be having more fun playing basketball than anybody. He is built for basketball better than anybody could possibly be built. He is, except for by Patrick Beverley, essentially unguardable. He can do whatever he wants on the court at any time. He's playing on a team that could be amongst the greatest, most legendary athletic teams that has ever talked about. And he looks miserable every single time. Even, Even during that 60 minutes piece when he was practicing, he looked miserable. How do you reconcile that?
2: I, I think the only person who can truly answer that is Kevin Durant. I'm um, sure there's some things going on that nobody knows about, and I'm going to continue to re- reiterate that they're, they're humans too, right? So despite his amazing superior talent to play basketball, that may not be enough for him. He may Does he love playing basketball? Does he not love playing basketball? Um, I, I wish I could answer those questions for him, but to your point, at, at this current moment, I would probably say he – It's real close between him, Giannis, and LeBron, but you could argue that he is the best basketball player on planet Earth. And you'd figure if you're the best basketball player on planet Earth, life is pretty good, right? But something is clearly not fulfilled for him, that you can win two straight finals MVPs. There's a very high chance you're going to win three straight finals MVPs and go into a conversation that only Bill Russell can that he did. Right. You went to Golden State to get your trophies and your your rings. Maybe you did it to get the the approval of everyone that says you were the next Patrick Ewing. You were the best player that that never finished with the championship. Well, now I don't have the everyone thinks I kind of bought my way into this versus earned it. And now I like these I, I wish I could answer these, but these are all common themes that may just have stacked up in his brain throughout time that the only way he's going to be happy is if X, Y, and Z happens. And that's why so many people are like looking to see him come to New York, because if he were to win a championship in New York, you know, it's the same thing as LeBron going back to Cleveland. We forgot that LeBron was the biggest villain on planet earth for almost five years. Kevin Durant is the biggest sports villain in the United States because of what his decision to go to Golden State. If he came to New York, I wouldn't build him a statue if he won a championship. Not, no statue outside the Garden. He would get his own tower. He would get his own skyscraper. They would rename the Canyon of Heroes after him. So if he's looking for narratives now in addition to actual accomplishments and achievements, maybe that's the next step for him. And your reconcile question, that's how maybe he's going to reconcile it uh, before his career is done.
1: All right, I got one more question for you. Later on the podcast, we got Mike Lieboff Hockey editor, writer, Islander fan extraordinaire, um, the creator of Francesicon, by the way, uh, and Action Network, you know, do it all master. He's going to come on later and we're going to talk about the Stanley Cup. But I have one more question for you before I let you go. Your all foxhole team, as of right now, who is your all foxhole team?
2: Patrick Beverly, Campbell Walker, Montrez Harrell. I think I'm. It's going to create some problems, but I do want Chris Paul in there just because he's so smart and the way he thinks ahead. Um, my fifth spot. Wish I could give you a fifth spot off the top of my head. Those four guys are in my foxhole, though. I can tell you that much.
1: Who do you think could eat the most thumbtacks and wash them down with the most nails?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, but I made the joke last night. I think the answer is Patrick Beverly. He's been doing that throughout his career that when everyone's over there enjoying themselves, Patrick Beverly is it's like he's the mankind for anyone out there that watched WWE Attitude era, he is the mankind of uh, NBA basketball that you just can't kill him, he just keeps coming back, and anything you do to him just seemingly makes him stronger.
1: Listen, Wob, you've had a nice run of content the past 12 hours. I want you to go take a nap.:
2: Thank you. much appreciated.:
1: Thank you, brother. I'll talk to you later. Let's take a break from the podcast to talk about our favorite advertiser of erectile dysfunction pills. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health, whether it's a knee injury, bad back or something worse. Could there be something worse? Guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. I've broken my back. I've had my appendix taken out. You know what I do? I stay at work. That's what I do. I always stay at work. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and get treated for ED online. Roman is a one-stop shop where you can chat with a licensed U.S. physician who can treat ED and, if safe and appropriate, ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. I don't know why it has to be an awkward face-to-face conversation. My kids listen to the podcast every once in a while. They've heard the Roman ads, and they think it's fantastic that we're talking about this. I'm just going to say that out loud. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com favorites, complete an online visit, chat with a doctor, and if the doctor decides it would be safe and appropriate, they'll ship genuine medication right to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked by the doctor. Erectile dysfunction is a problem that guys don't tackle. But with Roman, it's really simple. So take care of it. For a free online visit, go to getroman.com favorites. That's getroman.com favorites for a free online visit. Getroman.com favorites. As my friend Blackjack would say, get Roman, get hard. Let's get back to the podcast. Kids, I hope you enjoyed that one. All right. Next up on the podcast, from the Action Network, one of my favorites. I can't believe he hasn't been fired yet. But uh, (laughs) Mr. Michael Leboff covers hockey, covers baseball, yeah, covers, covers everything really. But mostly, I think you're probably known at the Action Network for the things you don't do at the Action Network, like your podcast, Islanders Anxiety. Yeah, that's right. And being the creator of Francesicon. Mm-hmm. So before we even get into the Islanders, which is why you're here, we're going to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the Islanders, it's Tuesday morning. Like I said, the Islanders have a chance to sweep the series. Tonight, you are wearing your Islanders hat. You're wearing your Islanders sweater. You're wearing your Islanders t-shirt. You have been thinking about all the things you can do to rub it in John Tavares' face when the Islanders advance to the second round of the playoffs. You had a conversation this morning. Tell me about your conversation this morning coming in on the LIRR uh, with the train conductor.
3: Yeah, I was just walking away from a screaming baby, uh, walking downstream, as we like to call it, towards the the, the back of the train, and I got stopped because I'm wearing an Islanders hat, and he he wanted to check my ticket. He thought I had just got on, and I said, no, I, you know, I was just getting away from that maniac baby over there and 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 he's like oh he's like yeah plus you got an islander's hat on you're good and we just started talking about the game for you know 20 minutes while uh an oversized truck hit a a a tunnel so we had to slow down in forest hills uh there's always something new on the long island railroad and so that slowed the iron horse down a little bit and uh (laughs) we (laughs) we got uh we got to talking and you know yeah the islanders are up three nothing on the penguins right now and um the credo from Barry Trotz, our fearless leader, has been the fourth game is the hardest to win. And as excited and surreal as this whole thing has been, we kept reminding each other not, not to count our chickens before, before they hatch because, you know, if there's a team that can blow a 3 0 lead and just stomp your heart in front of your face, it's the New York Islanders. And um, so we're not looking past this game, we're not counting anything uh, as done and dusted. So the, the conversation was literally, oh, I'm so excited. You know, this is a dream, but we got to win the fourth game. And then I would reply, you know, the fourth game is the hardest game to win. And he said, yeah, this team is really tough. Like, if there's a team that can come back from a 3-0 lead, it's Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. So we, uh, we made sure to, to kind of pump our brakes a little bit.
1: Both literally and metaphorically. Yes, exactly.
3: There were a lot of brakes being pumped on the train this morning.
1: Here's what I love about Leboff is um, you go all in on your passions, the Islanders. When uh, you decided things weren't going well in Rockville Center, what did you do? Uh, I ran for mayor. How old were you? 20. And what happened? I lost.
3: <laughs> Why did you lose? I was just a political machine that I was trying to tear down. It's too too tough. It, it, the, the incumbent mayor, um, he's a good guy. I, uh, his, his dad was mayor for like 30 years in my town. Um, Part of the reason I was running for mayor was just because the Islanders were in a very precarious position, and I didn't know how to get into a, a position of power and try to like save them. And this was one avenue. Um, not that I was—that was the only reason, obviously. I, you know, I, I'm I'm an idealist, idealistic guy. Like I, I would love to to be in a position to to make the world a little bit better place, make tiny changes to Earth, if you if you will. And uh, it's all any of us can do. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I lost. Uh, this guy, Fran Murray, is doing a pretty pretty decent job and uh yeah i mean every time i see him which has probably been like six or seven times since then it's you know a little cold and uh, <laughs> i've never had a political rival before and, and now i do
1: does he know it's cold when you see him or is it just from you i don't know actually
3: i, I saw him once at a at a bar uh at a we we ended up uh relieving ourselves at u- adjacent urinals really yeah and uh that's when i noticed it was cold <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, what he wouldn't look at you is that what happened
3: <laughs> well, I said hello and uh, he didn't say back you usually you say hello back or how are you and uh, he he didn't do that um, He, I mean it was a big drinking day on Long Island just drinking days we do I think we do drinking days and I think we curse better than anybody like we don't waste curse curse no. words on anything um, so it was Irish day on Long Island uh, in Rockville Center and uh, it was late we both had our drinking legs under us and made it to the sun came down, which is an accomplishment in itself, and um, maybe I didn't. I think I said hello, uh, and then he didn't say it back. But you know, maybe he was just a little fatigued from the drinking.
1: Wait, there's an Irish Day in Long Island that is different than St. Patrick's Day? Uh, yeah, there's so many Irish days actually.
3: There's like, they just like throw them on this, the calendar just to like, I think, bring in an influx of people from uh from all over. Uh, Rockville Center, where I grew up, is. Known for having uh, this, a lot of towns claim this. We we claim it too. Uh, most bars per capita in the United States, and so a lot of people come from all over Long Island uh, the week after St. Patrick's Day, is our Irish day.
1: All right. So Fran Murray-, Murray is your political rival. Yeah. Well, he's one of them. I'm several, I
3: think. But most of them just don't know it. They
1: don't. You're, yeah. But you're thinking about him. You're going yeah. after him. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The other thing that you started before we even get to the playoffs, is Francesca. Cohn. Yes. Mike Francesa. Expl- there was a great story about this. This is why I hired you. Yeah. Is because we were talking and you're like, I started Francesicon and then you sent me the story that was in Grantland mm-hmm. about you starting Francesicon. I feel like you starting Francesicon and Francesa on WFAN, these are the most long island things ever. Yeah. Explain how you started this.
3: Well, it wasn't just me, it was me and my buddy Ron, who's actually from Clifton, New Jersey. Um, but he's a huge Francesca guy, too. And, uh, yeah, One, I, I was used to working in this uh, financial job, which, like, I, to this day, don't know how I ended up there. Uh, it didn't last long. And uh, one day I was driving home from work, and I was just, like, real pissed off because I hated my job. Uh, I hated my boss. And uh, I was stuck in traffic on the Merritt Parkway, which you know very yeah, well. You know very well. Um, and I was listening to Mike, and I was just cracking up because he was just going off on someone. And, and I called my buddy. I was like... We need to we need to start a bar crawl for Mike Francesa and just have people dress up like Mike, you know, like SantaCon, and um, we both kind of just shot the idea around and uh, we we were working, you know, both freelancing for a guy who who ran a like a sports culture website out in the West Coast and he didn't really know you know much about the Francesa phenomenon. He's like, yeah, go for it. So we did, and the next thing you know, it like kind of just went pretty much like sports viral, I guess would be the best way to put it. And he called me. He's like, we're gonna get sued by Mike Frances. I can't be attached to this. Um, and we're like, all right, like, but we're going to still do it. And we did. It was, uh, it was the s- Saturday before the Super Bowl in New York. Uh, it was a bar crawl. Didn't really get past one bar, but I mean, it was a great time. Where did you start and finish? Ah, uh, it was a bar called the saloon. I don't think it's there. It's up on the Upper East side or it was. Um, and, uh, I think it closed. But the we had special guests there. We had Jack Youngblood, who is an NFL Hall of Famer, yeah, and showed up, played on a broken leg in the Super Bowl. No idea how he got there, but he was there. Um, Jeff Cumberland, who we paid a thousand dollars to show up because we we had raised money through like ticket sales. Oh, not sorry, not ticket sales that year, but just selling T-shirts online. So we we had paid Jeff Cumberland a, a show up fee. He was a terrible tight end for the Jets. Like, just I mean, I don't know if many Jets fans would know who he is, but he showed up. Um, Paid him, you know, grand. We like me and my friends call it a Cumberland now. Anytime someone <laughs> talks about thousand dollars, and uh, Amir Khan, who's actually boxing Terrence Crawford at Saturday at the Garden, showed up. His people call him, call me the day before Francesca Khan. Hey, Amir is going to be in town for the Super Bowl. He wants to go to a Super Bowl party. Yours really stuck out. And I was like, Amir Khan, the you know, the British boxer, and he's like, Yeah, and I was like, All right, like he's more than welcome to show up. He's gonna have no idea what's going on. So he just like walked through the crowd and walked out. and... You know, that boxing already is a niche sport. Mike francesca Con was a very niche thing. Um, one person noticed, called into Mike the next day, and is like, or his first Super Bowl show on Sunday, and was like, Mike, did you know Amir Khan was at Francesca Con? And he thought he meant uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, who's also whose name last name is yeah, yeah. also Khan. He's like, The Jacksonville Jaguars owner was at Francesca Con? And he's like yeah. <laughs> so, so Mike thought that the, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars was at Francesa Con. I, he might to this day, but yeah. And then uh, Mike and I have become you know, basically best friends since then. I actually was texting him on the train.
1: Yeah, you text him a lot. You're, every day you tell me when you're texting Francesa.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a flex.
1: <laughs> you flex very well. Yeah. All right, let's get to the NHL playoffs. Let's do it. Last night you were on the Predators. Yes. They won, mm-hmm. you were on the money line. You have the only reason anyone in the office is betting hockey is because you're betting hockey. So, and Ken Barkley, Lockheed Lockerson, Mm -hmm. who has been writing like amazing stuff and putting out systems that anyone can follow. Like he's putting out a spreadsheet and then people can fill in their own systems on his spreadsheet, um, essentially. Uh, If they go to the Action Network, actionnetwork.com, download the free app. Um, What are you thinking about when you're betting hockey right now?
3: Yeah, the, uh, the NHL playoffs are just a really, really good opportunity to learn a lot about betting because it's a very controlled environment, a very controlled betting environment, right? The same two teams are playing each other, for especially game between Game 1 and Game 2, there's very little change, right? The teams are on the same rest, they're playing in the same venue, There's it, maybe there's an injury or whatever, but most of the time it's the same roster playing each other. So the market, theoretically, should be set before Game 1, but... So the best example is last year the Penguins played the Flyers. They won game one 7-0. They were like minus 180. Then for game two, they were like minus 230. So what's that telling you is like the market's already been set at minus 180. So you're, you're getting you know somewhere between 30 to 50 cents of value on the Flyers the next game because you already know what the, the, the line should be. They already told you what the line should be. Uh, and it doesn't even matter that the Flyers – the Flyers did win game two, but that doesn't even matter. What matters is you were able to recognize that situation and then take advantage of it. And we saw that with the Blue Jackets and, and Lightning a little bit. Lightning lost game one, w- which they were already overpriced. Like, people are underestimating the Blue Jackets. They're, they're a good team. Like, sure, they were the, the eight seed, and they're playing a generational team. Um, but the Blue Jackets are good, and they got better at the deadline, and they're coming in to the playoffs hot, which has some correlation uh, to, to doing well in the playoffs. And so people are already underestimating them. They win game one. Then people just can't fathom the fact that this amazing lightning team would be able would go down two nothing at home, so the line moved in their direction for game two too, and what are you going to do there? You're not going to take a, a bad number when the market's already been set. You're going to take a good number on top of what it was already a good number, and the blue jackets won. So, like, there's a very easy um, kind of like surface level way to get in, and I always try to tell. Like I was talking to Scott Miller, like I think last year for the playoffs. Scott
1: Miller, executive editor of the Action Network. Right.
3: I was like Scott. You know, I'm not a big hockey fan at all. Um, I, I, you know, kind of explained my my uh, strategy for that game with the Penguins and and uh, Flyers, and it and that drew him in. And it takes one hockey bet to get into hockey, I think, especially in the playoffs. Like it's a different animal. Uh, once you do it, like the game is just a roller coaster. It's it's just chaos, just absolute chaos uh, in in a very small area. So once you do that, you'll get into it. And there's so much good public-facing uh, data in hockey, too. So you can just keep learning and learning. And it's already a soft market because not as many people bet it. So your best, I think, uh, if you're going to bet a four, one of the four major sports and you're looking to actually succeed and not just betting to, you know, because you're watching the Dolphins and the Bears on Sunday, it's, it's got to be hockey.
1: This all makes perfectly good sense, except for the fact that you still end up betting on bad teams.
3: Yeah, all the time. I think I mean I had a, another good season betting hockey and I was well under 500 because I just betting bad underdogs.
1: So that's what you really do is you end up betting the money line on the underdogs mm-hmm. every single time. When do you bet favorites in the NHL? In the playoffs, especially?
3: Rarely. Uh, I I would say like probably the most expensive team I bet this year was like minus 140. Uh, you already it's a, it's such a volatile sport already. It's very low event scoring too. So. One goal is very important. And think about how many goals go in off someone's shin pad. And that changes the game completely. You know, so you, t- you take advantage of that volatility by not, you know, laying crazy prices. Sure, there's sometimes is value on, on uh, favorites in hockey. But uh, I tend to, and maybe this is, you know, an area I've got to improve on, is I tend to just always lean towards the underdog because I don't think we account for the randomness of the sport
1: enough. So what do you do about the Islanders? The Islanders are up 3-0. What's the price on the Islanders tonight?
3: They're like plus 150. They've they they they've been underpriced. This is probably the closest to the appropriate price we've seen in the series.
1: And so they're plus 150 against the Pens tonight. Penguins down 3 nothing. What do you do on that game?
3: Uh, <laughs> right now, I, I don't really think I'm going to bet it. I have, an, I have an Islanders series bet. I have an Islanders Stanley Cup future. I so do them. I, by the way. Yeah, I know. We all do.
1: Yeah. I think who who bought those for everybody? Evan Evan Abrams. Evan Abrams, one of our, yeah, one of our one of our do it all guys at at the Action Network, and you see him on television all the time too. For I'll take that bet. Um, He went out to Vegas. He bought everybody an Islanders futures ticket. I forgot what the price was at.
3: Thirty to one.
1: Thirty to one. So you have an Islanders futures bet. You have an Islanders series bet. Um, Take the Islanders out of it. Then handicap the rest of the NHL playoffs for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's. There are a couple of scary teams. Like I think the Knights are probably the the best bet in the in the West if if you're looking to. I mean, the number's pretty much gone at this point for for any team, but they uh, they're good. Like, they, and I think they've kind of flown under the, the radar a little bit because of all the hoopla of their season last year. Um, they're good. They're playing it. the Sharks are also good, but the Sharks have a terrible goalie. Like goaltending also is a really really probably the hardest position to project in all sports. I think. Um, is the goaltending in the NHL. Like guys just come out of nowhere to have great seasons guys fall off a cliff all the time. Like it's just impossible to, to be able to project goaltending. Um, and there are a lot of bad goalies in the West. Like Mike Smith on the flames is a serious Achilles heel. Martin Jones for the sharks, not good. So the, the Knights are not only a good team, but they have a reliable goaltender and Mark Andre Fleury, which should put them in a decent position. Um, the Blues, the Blues, who, who had a tar- horrible start to to the regular season, have kind of put they put things together around the midway mark, and uh, after they lost the Islanders, actually they, they even cite that game that that was their turnaround part <laughs> point of the game, uh, season. Uh, they but their goaltender is a rookie, Jordan Binnington, who's who's come out of nowhere, uh, kind of taking the lead by storm. So I I've not really waded into the Blues that much just because I don't I'm, like I can't figure this guy out. So rather, I'm just been passing on it. But I mean, if if you're really just like looking for for a team that maybe has like a, a shred of value left, it's it's probably the Knights in the West. So that would be your team in the West. That would be my pick. Your you pick know, in the West. I'm, I'm rooting for for the Avalanche because they're the worst team, and I'm expecting the Islanders to get the Stanley Cup. Right. So of I course. Want to
1: get, I mean, you want the Islanders to right. match it. Have the best opportunity. Correct. If the Islanders don't make it from their conference, who makes it?
3: Likely, uh, I'm thinking the Bruins are probably well. It should be the Lightning, but they're, they're, doing they're in trouble. trouble. Yes, a lot of trouble. Um, I, I think the Bru- whoever comes out of that, uh, it'll be the Bruins, Maple Leafs, or Blue Jackets, assuming they can hold on to this three-game three lead. Uh, I think whoever comes out of that will play the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Final. So we could be looking at a Tavares situation
1: here. Oh, my God. If the Islanders play the Maple Leafs and John Tavares is at the focal point of that playoff series, how are you going to handle it? not well. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? How are you going to manage that? Are you going to take the week off? Like, are you going to just sit in bed all day? What are you going to do?
3: I I try not to think about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, it's making me nervous right now. I've already, you know, been texting my friends like this is the Blue Jackets have kind of been, you know, screwing with my mind a little bit just because, you know, I expected the the Leafs not to be able to get out of that gauntlet. The Bruins are very good. Obviously, the Lightning are the best team in the league. So I was like, all right, like they should be taken care of by the time the Islanders are in the Eastern Conference final. And now we're have some more uncertainty. And uh, yeah, I don't know. My, I know like some, a couple of my loved ones. Like my mother was very worried about that. <laughs> she she doesn't she didn't really understand the playoff format, but she's like, well, how likely is it? And I said it, it wasn't very likely, you know, five days ago, but now it's increasingly likely or getting more likely by the day. And um, yeah, she's, she's very concerned, um, not just for me, but for like my, my relationships and, you know, my, my job and, um, you know, what, what would happen to me if, if, uh, and this is not just me. I mean, Islander fans are all like this. Like we have been treated so poorly, not just by other teams, but like by the media and by local politicians and on Long Island, like it's just a, an absolute disaster the way we've been treated. And so getting this opportunity has been, that's why, you know, we don't take anything for granted, really, as a fan base, just because we can't take, like, for my greater part of my life, when I, w- I would not go into bed, I wouldn't know if the Islanders would be there in the morning, just because they almost moved so many times, um, so this is, this isn't just me, like, this is all Islander fans are kind of, have this, you know, feeling inside them, and uh, I, I, I'm worried for, for all of us, not just, not
1: just me. Listen, I want you to tell your mom, you have nothing to worry about in your job. I cannot vouch for your impending marriage, mm-hmm. but I can promise you that you are always going to have a job unless you keep losing hockey bets. In which case, we're going to fire you.
3: Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I, I, I don't understand why you and, and PK are, are always on my back about this Patrick
1: Keene, CEO of the Action. Network. I don't know if
3: you don't follow me in the app or whatever, but usually we're on the, the winning side in hockey.
1: I think you're on the winning side of life, Mike Lieboff. I hope so. Thanks for coming on uh, the podcast. Anytime. Let's go back to work. Yeah. All right. This has been The Favorites from the Action Network. Download us on Apple Podcasts. Go to radio.com slash Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. Thank you very much.